Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. The reason for worship. That's what we're looking at this morning. Now this is the, the fourth, really, in the, the series uh, Songs for Life, that uh, we've, we've looked at the first three psalms at various times. Um, usually this, uh, as I told you, I think last time I, I preached on this, um, this series serves as kind of a, a palate cleanser between other series, but we were talking about worship today, so I thought it was a good time to, to go back to psalms and the psalms and, and just go to the next one. Now, this psalm does not present itself as explaining our reason for worship. But as we move through this psalm, we can see why we worship. We can see our ultimate reason for worship as we get to the end of it. There are, there are some days when we get to the end of that day and... Uh, you just really can't believe everything that's happened that day, right? I mean, it, it, it's you. I'm not just talking about just. I'm not just talking about busy days. Those are those have their own weight to them. I, I'm talking about those days when it seemed like you were getting beat up from every possible direction, uh, whether it was work or home or school, uh, extended family, uh, the 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 police officer that, that stopped you for going three miles over and he wouldn't give you a, a warning or you didn't use your blinker or, you know, the, 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 the bank's calling, the, the check bounced and it's not your fault, a direct deposit didn't go through. I mean, all these different things can, can happen in a day and make that day uh, a terrible, horrible, bad, no good day. No good, very bad day. There's a children's book you, obviously I'm not as familiar with as my son is, um, that uh, talks about, you know, it's just, it's just the worst day ever. Well, if you have those days over and over and over, uh, the succession of those days can erode your faith. They can really get in the way of what you know to be true about God. They can cloud who God is, who you know God is, who you have experienced God to be in the past. That succession of days can do that. David was in the midst of that. He, was, uh, he wrote this psalm during a season of oppression, but he knew where his hope was. It's very likely that Psalm 4 is just a continuation of Psalm 3. So they really go together. Um, it's possible, uh, likely, again, that David wrote these psalms while his son Absalom was trying to overthrow uh, David's kingdom and for a while uh, succeeded in that. So David wrote this psalm in, in one of the lowest points of his life and he wrote a song for worship, a song for life. Because remember, this, the Psalms were Israel's, or the, the book of the Psalms was Israel's hymnal. This is what they sang when they got together. And uh, 
you read it and you think, really, this was their worship song? Yes, because this psalm gives us the reason for worship. Read with me Psalm chapter 4. David wrote, Answer me when I call, God, who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Selah. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. As I said, David wrote this psalm in the midst of his oppression, in the midst of one of the lowest points of his life, and he writes it uh, for not just himself. The, the subscript or the superscript up at the, the top for the choir director was Stringed Instruments, a psalm of David. David was writing this for the choir to lead the congregation in worship with. That was his intent all along. And he, he writes uh, even those words, Selah, uh, that show up twice in this psalm and numerous times in other places. We don't really know what that means. Best we can tell is that it is a musical term indi- <coughs> excuse me, indicating to the band that, okay, you need to get louder here or pause here. I mean, there's, there's even debate whether it means pause or get louder, but it's something for the worship leader, for the band to understand, hey, this is an important spot. This is where you need to emphasize the worship of the people. So David has this in mind in the midst of his tribulation. And he begins in verse 1 with God's past faithfulness. He looks back. He says, answer me when I call God who vindicated me or who vindicates me. You've, You've done this. You freed me from affliction, something in my past that I had going on. I know you took care of. Therefore, I'm putting this into your hands now. Be gracious to me. And hear my prayer. The the way uh, he writes this verse, and a lot of the verses, is that first line, answer me when I call, matches the fourth line, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And then the two lines in the middle go together. They parallel each other. So answer me, be gracious to me. It sounds like David's giving God a command. This is not a command. This is a request. We might put an understood, please, or I beg you to answer me, to, to be gracious to me, to hear my prayer. David is coming to God with everything that's going on, saying, I know who you are, God. I, I know who you have been. Right now, in this situation in my life, I need you to be who you've always been, who I know you to be, who you have always been to me. He's basing all this on previous experience. He's looking back on his life. He knows what God has done. He knows that in the past, God had shown David's rightness. He had vindicated him. 
David had, had done something following the Lord. The people came against him or his, his advisors or a group of people came against him. And he says today in this psalm, God, you know what I did was right. You vindicated me in the, in the eyes of those people. God had shown God David's rightness and he had also rescued David when just vindication didn't end it, when the people still oppressed, when he was attacked in some way, whether it was verbally or physically, and he was often attacked physically, God had rescued him. God had pulled him from that situation. And as he begins this psalm, as he writes this song for the congregation to worship God with, he starts with knowing that God could do again what he had done in the past. What do you have to look back at and say, God, in the midst of this oppression, in the midst of this tribulation, in the midst of this that I'm going through now, I know what you've done for me in the past. There are spiritual markers in my mind, in my heart, along the way that I have set up. And I know you've done those things for me then, and you can do it again. But he goes from there, and as a part of this worship song, he writes about the oppressor's current actions in verse 2. He calls them exalted ones, lifted up, important people, uh, high and mighty maybe we would say. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Now, David doesn't get definite here. We, we don't learn what exactly they were doing. We get an inkling, we get some ideas of their actions, but we don't know the root of their actions, nor do we know what was being said specifically or being done. But what we do see from this passage is that people of power, of some kind of power, were using insults, slander, and lies because of their love of their power. They were determined to have their way, and they were using everything in their arsenal other than physical attack to do these things uh, to stop whatever it was David was doing. And if you go back to uh, the second part of verse 4, God who vindicates me, you see David is uh, by extension here asking God to vindicate him again. I know you have told me this, and yet this group is against me. This group is coming out against me. Now, he, we believe he's intentionally vague here. He does not get into specifics because he wants us, the reader, he wants the, the congregation at the time and the congregation later to be able to sing this song and sing it from their heart and say, God, you know where I am. Lord, you know what's going on in my life. It may not be exactly what David wrote, but he's vague enough that we can put ourselves in that place and understand the universality of having people come against us for whatever reason, for in whatever situation. It might be family members. It might be workplace. It might be who knows what. But we can take this, David says, and we can just you know, peel it off and stick it right there on our lives. And it fits. Every one of us have been through that situation. And when we find ourselves in that situation, we, as David did, can go to God and say, Answer me when I call, please, Lord. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. It's interesting that with verse 2, his worship 
is an accusation toward those who are acting unjustly. I mean, that's just an interesting thing to put in a worship song. Yet that's what David did. He's got a purpose. It's not just to point fingers. Uh, as we're going to see here uh, in the next three verses, he, it's, a, it's an opportunity. He's presenting an opportunity for change. He's, he's presenting this accusation because of what's coming next. But he's also presenting this as an opportunity to say, God, in, in this vaguely specific circumstance, I will still worship you. And we, we put that in our songs. We, we may not uh, uh, call out individuals, but we put into our songs, Lord, I'm hurting, heal me. Lord, I'm, I'm broken, put me back together. That is worship. It is worship to fall at the feet of our God and say, God, I cannot make it through this situation on my own. Here is the situation. Lord, you fix this situation. But he brings it up so he can say these next three verses. How long, high and mighty, or exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie against him? Verse 3, know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. Now he's talking to the people, talking to the accusers, the exalted ones. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Still talking to those folks. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. This is an exhortation to the oppressors to change. He's presenting first what they're doing and then in the next three lines, or the next three verses, he says, but this is how you can turn it around. How awesome to worship our God in an expression of how he can change us. He begins with working through them, you know, their own strength. First, he, he compares himself to them and says, Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful. He is telling them of his faithfulness. He has set me apart, he says. He has brought me to this. He has put me in this position and uh, the Lord will hear a prayer from those he has put into position. The, the flip is they are not following the Lord's will. And it is clear to him and probably to a lot of other folks. So he's comparing himself to them first, which is an exhortation. Guys, be like me. Not that he is perfect. He's not presenting himself as a perfect example here. But he is saying that when... Uh, God sets a person up when God gives a vision. That is the vision that God is going to bless. And that's the vision God's going to work behind. Then he says in verse 4, he continues, Be angry and do not sin. We should hear an echo of, of, of Paul later on in the New Testament. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What he's saying here in verse 4 is not to let your anger lead to sinful actions. We're going to be upset. We're, things are not going to go our way. There will be oppressors. There will be opportunities for us to oppress. That's another thing this psalm does. In worship, we get to put ourselves in a, a position where we realize our need to change. Worship kind of becomes that mirror 
as Scripture does to us and reflects exactly who we are and shows us where we need to change, worship can do the same thing if it is good, biblical, godly worship. As we worship, as we say certain words, we're going to realize, wait a minute, at this moment in my heart, I can't say those words because my heart is not there. Those words are not expressing the truth of my relationship with the Lord right now. I need to work on my relationship. Don't let your anger lead to sinful actions, he says. Don't, don't let your, your emotion take control of you. He says, on your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Get control, uh, keep, uh, keep evil words to yourself is what he's saying here. Don't let your mouth get ahead uh, uh, of your brain. Keep evil words to yourself. He says, get control of yourself in private. That's the on your bed. The reflect in your heart is the, the words, the, the, the process, the thought process. What, what uh, uh, later on or elsewhere in the Bible it says that uh, out of the mouth flows what's in the heart. That's what he's saying here. You control your mouth by controlling your heart. Keep your evil words to yourself. Give them to the Lord, we're going to see in verse 5. Get control of yourself in private, on your bed. Be still. And those opportunities when you have, uh, when you have those opportunities to sit and fume over something and just stew over it and, and roll it over in your head again and again, and the more you think about it, the angrier you get about it, he says that is the time to control it. Don't let it control you. And then you will control your mouth. Then you will not lead, get, be led into sinful action. Verse 5, now we, he's, he's told them in three verses, this is how you need to react, but ultimately what you need to do. Verse 5, offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Choose righteousness and trust God. Do what is right, do what is sinless, and then put the rest of it in God's hands. In this situation, what David is telling them is, look, I'm following the Lord here, and if I'm not, let him tell you. But your sinful actions, your words, your, your slander, your lies, uh, your, your insults, those are not how you go about any sort of change. He says, choose righteousness and trust. He's letting here our worship be an example. We turn around or Israel would sing this song and those who were singing this song in the midst of their worship would sing these words and they would think about the times they had not kept evil words to themselves. They would think about the times that they had not or, or had allowed their anger to lead to sinful actions. They would think about the times they had not gotten control of themselves in private. They would think about the times they had not chosen righteousness and trust. And they would change. And our worship, what we, would, what we say to God in worship, would be an example to those who are around us. And people would see, wait a minute, that person, I knew them as a terribly negative person. I knew them as a backbiter, a liar, and a slanderer, but I have seen them in worship change. And now they aren't because they allowed the worship to change them. 
And then verses 6 through 8, David gets to what I see as our reason for worship. Again, he was not setting it, this psalm up to prove this or to show this. But it follows right along that we get to the reason for our worship. In the midst of the, the oppression, he says, hear my prayer in verse 1. He gives uh, the, the accusations of, of what people are doing in verse 2. They're verses 3 through 6, he, or 3 through 5, he says, this is how you can change. This is how you can truly worship. In verse, verse 6, he begins to say, and this is why we worship. Many are asking, verse 6, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Many are asking, who can show us good? See, he knew the true reason that this group was oppressing him. He knew the true reason that this group was lying and insulting and slandering. It wasn't just because of their love of power, though that was part of it. They did not believe God could do what he said he would do. This question here, who can show us anything good? The people are questioning, really, David? Really, God? You're still trusting the Lord? Look at what you're going through, David. At this point in time, they could have said, look, Absalom is trying to overthrow your kingdom. You are really do, you're really going to say God's in control. You're really going to say God's watching out for you. David, who can show us anything good? We don't need God. We, we've got either our false gods or no gods, but, but they're doing just as good for us. No, actually, David, they're doing better for us than, you, than your God is doing. We, 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 we give lip service. We've got the temple, but... Where is God in all of this? Who can show us anything good? I think sometimes we get there. I think sometimes we get right to that point where those people were. When things are going horribly wrong constantly. It does not seem we can catch a break. Sometimes it's just, it's just circumstances. Sometimes it's just life. And then other times it's people piling on life and the circumstances. And we say, God, can you show me anything good right now? Is there anything good going on in my life? Honest worship is what we have here. David writing from a heart of truthfulness and saying it is not always pretty. And sometimes there are those who are successful without God. We look around and we see it every day. We see it all the time. Those that we think, why are they successful? Why are they making it? They, they, have, they give no acknowledgement to God. Maybe they give some lip service to God, but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They have admitted that in, in so many words by saying they have nothing to ask forgiveness for or something like that. We we look at their lives, there is no reason why God is blessing them, that they are far beyond me in blessing God. Why? They spit in your face 
and they win. I try to serve you, and I lose. David already knew the answer. David is already getting to the answer. He, he answers their question by praying another prayer to the God. Lord, let your face shine on us, or let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. Second half of verse 6 there, show us who you are. Show them who you are. I believe our testimony is not necessarily weakened. I, that's, that's too strong of a word. But I think a lot of times it's easy to give a testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of our abundance. It's hard to give a testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of our want and our need. And if we can stand before a jeering crowd and tell them, it's not about what I have, it's not about what I don't have, it's not about success, in quotation marks, it's not about what you think of me or, or what uh, you think I am or who you think I am, it is about who God says I am and how I am faithful to Him. That is a testimony people can respond to and go, man. That's something. You get something similar to the reaction of the uh, centurion standing below the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And the centurion says, surely this was the Son of God. Why? Because he was able to forgive the people that drove the nails through his wrists. That is a testimony of God's graciousness in the midst of oppression. And we can have that same sort of testimony. God, show them who you are. Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. And he goes on, David does. Now we have the reason for worship. Why do we worship? In the midst of oppression, in the midst of good times, why do we worship? Because God has put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie, both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. What we understand and why we can worship and uh, the reason for our worship is that true joy comes from the Lord. We don't get it from anywhere else. We don't get it from life. We don't get it from things. We don't get it from people. We don't get it from power and we don't get it from positions. Our joy in life only comes from God. Even in oppression. Our joy comes from God. Even if the oppressors succeed against us, our joy comes from God. The reason for worship in verse 8 is that we have complete confidence in God. Where is your trust this morning? If you tell me where your trust is this morning, I can tell you how much joy you have in your life. Because if your trust is in money, it can be gone. Is it in your stocks and bonds? We've all heard of crashes. Is it in your job? We've all heard of layoffs. I, I knew a gentleman who uh, I, I had not previously known anyone personally affected by this. I knew a gentleman who, at about the age of 55, was getting ready to retire as a truck driver for Enron. 
and all of his retirement was in Enron stock. And he was going to have a nice retirement. And if I remember correctly, and if Etta were in here, she, she'd probably tell me the number of years. He only had two or three years until he was going to be able to retire. And Enron went under. And he started driving a truck for Walmart. And he will probably till he dies. Because everything he had was wiped out in seconds, really. Now, he can rejoice in, in, in his suffering, and he can trust the Lord, and he did trust the Lord through all of that. But I can tell you his joy only came from the Lord. It did not come from Enron. If you don't believe me, talk to him about Enron right now. Ain't no joy there. But talk to him about the Lord, and you will hear of joy. We have complete confidence in God. See, when we have complete confidence in God, when we understand our reason to worship, then we have no concerns at the end of that long day. No matter where in the midst of our oppression that long day comes, we have no concerns. That last line there, uh, beginning of, rather birth, the beginning of verse 8, we both lie down and sleep in peace. The way the, the language works there in Hebrew, lie down and sleep are actually simultaneous. I don't do this much anymore. I used to be that way. I used to be right as my head hit the pillow, maybe slightly before I was asleep. I was, I was done. That was good. It doesn't, just does not work that way anymore. But what he's saying is, as soon as I lay my head down, I'm asleep. Because I don't have worries. I don't have cares. I don't have concerns. I know where my faith is. I know where my joy is. I know who my reason for worship is. My reason for worship is not what I'm going through. My reason for worship is not the people who are coming against me. My reason for worship is not my concerns over finances or things, material possessions. My reason for worship is the fact that God has me in the palm of his hand and he has promised to never let me go. That is my reason for worship. Only God can make you sleep when your head hits the pillow. This is figurative language, folks. If you're having trouble going to sleep because you've got you know, arthritis or restless leg syndrome, I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about the concerns of life. Those things can... Why do we worry? I mean, quite a few New Testament verses about that. How worrying doesn't do any good. It's God alone that can give you the confidence to lay your head down in peace and sleep and live in safely. safety. Only God can do that. See, y'all, only God can give us peace in difficulty. That's our reason for worship. Only God can cause worship in the midst of strife. Only God could have led a, 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 a songwriter to write a song of worship where he encourages those oppressors who are currently oppressing him to find hope in the Lord. Only God can cause that. Only God could change the oppressor anyway. And that's why David put it in the song and said, Look, rise up, folks. Stop the, lang the, the, the lies. Stop the, the sinning. Stop the anger. Put your righteousness and trust in the Lord. Only God can do that. That is a reason to worship. 
But our ultimate reason to worship is Jesus Christ. See, only Jesus can get you to a place of understanding your reason for worship. Because right now, somebody hearing me may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're sitting there thinking, there is no way I can worship in the midst of my circumstances. Michael, you don't know what I'm going through. You know what? You're right. But I know Jesus does. And I know that he has said, I know what scripture says, I know what David was going through, and I know that God can see you through that. But you cannot have a relationship with the Father without a relationship with the Son. That's just the way he set it up. You may give lip service to believing in God, but until you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can't truly know God. So how can we worship? Well, we worship first by accepting Christ. We need to understand that God is holy and just. He is righteous. He will judge sin. He will put right what is messed up by sin. And he will do that by condemning all who are sinful. That includes you and me. We are condemned. It's already been decided, uh, it's already uh, been decreed, and we have no recourse or choice in the matter on our own, because we are willfully sinful and fallen. We both choose to do it, and we can't help it. It goes both ways, it's a two-edged sword. And because of that, we are destined for everlasting torment and judgment. We are destined to receive the wrath that God is going to pour out on sin because that's who we are. It is decreed. It's done. Except there's an escape clause. There's a way out. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, took our place on the cross, took our sin on the cross and said, you know what? You are condemned. You know what? It is decreed. You know what? You are desert deserving of judgment. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to take all of that for you. I'm going to live a perfect life. And that's what he did. And I'm going to be judged a sinner even though I'm sinless. And in being judged a sinner and taking the cross because he was both human and divine, he took our sin and our punishment. And he rose three days later from the grave to prove that he had been, been a victor over sin and over death. And now we have a way out. Now we have the escape clause. Now we don't live under judgment if we repent of our sin. We turn from our sin. We turn from our life that we are currently living. And we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him. It's that simple. God, I know I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I know only you can save me. I give my sin to you, and I take your salvation that you're offering. Lord, forgive me. And then we walk with him. We live for him. That is how we understand our reason for worship. That's where we begin with worship. Is that a decision you need to make today? Is that something you need to choose to do, to follow Jesus and begin to worship God as you should? Let's pray. Father, thank you.
that in the midst of our oppression, in the midst of our trials, you are worthy of worship. You are still on your throne. You are still in control. You are still in charge. Nothing has changed about you. And God, we can come to you. And we can know that we uh, have the ability to lay our head and go to sleep. And we will live in safety. Because your face is turned toward us. The light of your face shines on us. God, thank you for that promise. But Lord, some of us today don't know the, the, the reality of that. We don't know uh, about laying our head down and, and living in safety. Every, every day is a worry a, and a concern, not just for the things of this life, but for the things of eternity. God, we can know assurance for our eternity through Jesus Christ. And I pray that someone here today will accept that assurance through Jesus Christ. That you'll work on a heart of a believer whose worship is not reflective of what's in their heart because they are focused on the oppression. They are focused on what's going on, going wrong in life. God, I pray that you would work on the, uh, the heart of a believer whose heart is not reflect, whose, whose worship is not reflective of what's in the heart because they are the oppressor. They are the one lying and slandering. They are the one attacking. God, may our worship be an example of how you can change anyone. May we all worship in spirit and truth, and may it begin with our relationship with Jesus Christ. May you do a work on hearts this morning. Every one of us, Lord, here today, needs to have a, ref a fresh version, a fresh view of worship for you. And may you do that in this place as we know the reason for our worship is your love for us and your care for us. Do a mighty work today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the reason for our worship is found in our response this morning. How should you respond? Maybe you need to accept Christ. You need to trust him. You just you want to come and say, Michael, how do, how do I do that? And I'll, I'll share it with you. Or Jordan, who will be over here to my right in this corner, will share it with you. Maybe you've trusted Christ and you need to be baptized. You need to leave a light of, lead a life of holiness, believer. Maybe this is a time for you to give something to God that has been hindering your worship. Join the church. What do you need to do? You can come talk to us. We'll pray with you. You can fill it out on a connection card or just grab one of us after services this morning if you'd like. But whatever your decision is this morning, you take it to God now as we stand and as we sing, you do business with him.